It's not a secret that doctors have a hard time creating a professional-looking digital presence. Having a dynamic website, ranking in Google, or growing your volume of patient reviews are not easy tasks. We're too busy to figure it out on our own. Over the last 20 years, Advice Media has developed the pyramid of success to help physicians do just this. Do you want to attract more patients, generate more calls and emails, enhance brand awareness, protect your online reputation? Schedule a demo with Advice Media to learn how. On top of that, receive a $60 Amazon gift card just for chatting with them. Three and five patients will choose one provider over another because of a strong online presence. Are you making sure you're the one who stands out? Don't delay booking your demo today. Go to drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. Welcome to the Talk to Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew, and welcome back to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I'm so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, thank you so much. For my new listeners, welcome, because today, like on every episode, you're going to hear from the best guests all around healthcare and beyond discussing issues relating to the early career physician. Today we have a guest appearance recap on the wonderful podcast, Rounds to Residency. In this episode, I am interviewed by the wonderful Chase DeMarco. Chase holds a master's and an MBA and is an MD-PhD candidate. He is founder of Free Med Ed and the CEO of Find a Rotation Clinical Rotations Platform. He hosts the Medical Numinist Podcast and Rounds to Residency Podcast and is co-author of the book, Read This Before Medical School. Well, lesson in. Andrew Tisser is an emergency physician and the host of the Talk To Me Doc podcast. He also offers physician coaching and career consultations. But today, Andrew is here to help us get into and through our clinical education, including tips for communicating with teammates, specialty selection, and implementing student goal-setting strategies. Andrew, great to have you on today. Hey, Chase. Thanks so much. Good morning. Good morning. And for the audience, how about we go into just a little bit about you and your podcast, and we'll cover a little bit more about that later and all the career information, but just a little couple of seconds about who you are and why you do what you do. Okay, great. Yeah, my name's uh, Andrew Tisser. I, I did medical school on Long Island at New York College of Osteopathic Medicine. Went on to emergency medicine residency at Syracuse, New York, upstate medical university. Lived in Chicago for a little while with my wife, but now we reside just outside of Buffalo, New York. I'm still a full-time emergency physician uh, in a rural hospital setting, as well as the medical director of our local urgent care. Additionally to that, I have my podcast, Talk To Me Doc, which we talked about, and my consulting business, Talk To Me Doc. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at these days. So you definitely seem to have your hands full kind of all over the place. Lots of hats, I like to say. <laughs> yep. I mean, that keeps life interesting. It does. I guess the rural setting's got to be a little bit nicer than any urban setting right now with all the COVID stuff going on too. Yeah. I mean, I feel for my colleagues that are still in Chicago, I'm happy to not be in the inner city of Chicago right now. I'll tell you that. But rural hospitals have their own challenges. Very true. Very true. All right. So we're here to really delve into a little bit more about some advice for maybe the, those students that are planning for or about to enter their clinical academic setting. And there are a host of different things that students might not know to plan for or just might not think about as much as they probably should beforehand. And I know one of those is just utilizing certain team resources and communicating properly with the team. And I believe you have some good advice that you could share on that one. 
Yep, sure. So my wife says that I talk too much, all right? I'm the guy that talks to people on the plane, unfortunately. But I think involving everyone in the team into your learning is really important. Doing something nice for the nurses in your first week or so really goes a long way because they tell you if you make one nurse mad, that's it. You're done because it travels like wildfire. Let's, for example, nursing is you can really empower them by having them teach you things. And now nurses are much better at starting IVs than generally physicians are. I'll say it every day because they do it again and again and again. So when you have some downtime on medicine rotation or a different rotation, especially emergency medicine rotation, go grab one of the senior nurses and be like, hey, can you show me how to put in an IV? They'll be so happy. And you'll learn a skill. And then they got your back. So that's, that's an important thing. Same thing with our technicians. You know, uh, Where do the leads go? Putting someone on the monitor. How do you do XYZ? Getting the rest of the team involved is really important. A, in your learning, because everyone can teach you something. And B, just getting support and making it a little less scary and more fun place to work and learn. Yeah, that's something that you hear frequently in in the settings of uh, certain specialty rotations anyway, is definitely you want to get on the nurse's good side. If not, they will have the power to really influence the outcome of your experiences there for the positive or negative. So definitely want to utilize their knowledge and skill set as well to benefit your education. And like you said, to build that rapport and that, that teamwork. Especially the labor and delivery nurses, they, you know, you really got to maybe get them donuts. I I think maybe get them donuts. (laughs) Another thing that I find is interesting, actually, we just did an interesting survey on this on one of the popular physician Facebook groups was about specialty decisions and which decision students think they're going to go into, like pre-med, what specialty they think they're going to go into once they are actually medical students, and then which specialty they actually end up in. And it was pretty interesting to see over the 100 or so different responses. I'd say only maybe 7% of respondents were in the same specialty as what they planned on when they were in pre-med and maybe a 25-ish percent from med school to their specialty. So a lot of students are going to change from what they initially think they're going into into what they actually pick or get into later on. But there are a lot of decisions that can go into that, into specialty selection. And what sort of things do you think students should look for going into those? What decisions are very important? You know, I think it's important to approach specialty selection with an open mind. I am one of those people that thought they were going to do emergency medicine, changed my idea for a little while, and then went back to it. But I think, you know, there is, uh, how to put this lightly, certain experiences can really influence your specialty decision one way or another. If you had a really evil attending, for lack of a better term, it might cross off that specialty forever. Whereas if you had a really good experience with some residents or attendings, that might be like, oh, that's what I want to do. So um, it's very challenging. It's important for students to realize that one experience does not make the specialty. The other advice that I like to give is make a list of all of them. Every single specialty there is, and cross things out as you go. And when you eliminate a specialty, it's important to realize what it is you don't like about that specialty. So if you had did general surgery and you wanted to cross it out, is it because you hated the OR, which really eliminates a lot of other specialties? Or is it because you didn't like pathology? Or is it because you didn't like your residence, right? Um, 
So that's, you know, because if, if you can say, no, I don't like the OR, I don't like surgical specialties, you've eliminated OB-GYN, ENT, urology, and all the surgical subspecialties as well. So find what you like about certain specialties, because unfortunately, you won't have time to try them all. But if you can decide, maybe you don't like procedures, maybe you don't like being in an outpatient clinic. Like if I was in a clinic all day long, I'd go wild. Can't do that. I also, you know, I liked some of the medicine subspecialties, but I couldn't, I can't round. I, I, can't, I can't do it. So that's, you know, that's, that's my advice. Don't let one experience influence your decision and try to make a list and cross things out rather than, oh, I kind of like Pete's. I kind of like Obi-Gan. I kind of like, because that's not helpful. I wonder your thoughts on this then, because I agree that you do need to have several different experiences within a certain specialty to really get a good grasp of it. For instance, my initial internal medicine rotation in Chicago did not go very well, and I did not like it at all. I did not like the experience, did not like the hospital I was at, didn't like the education I was getting. And then during my electives, I was able to get a separate internal medicine in Denver area, and that one was much better. I don't know if it was one thing, all things. I did enjoy the preceptor better. I did enjoy the hospital and the demographic environment a little bit better. So that really switched me from, oh, I really hate internal medicine to, huh, you know, in the right setting, this is actually quite enjoyable. I quite like this learning environment. But if you're a student at a smaller school or let's say a Caribbean school or another IMG, FMG, you might not have the option to necessarily get all of the rotations you want. Do you have any thoughts or tips on those types of scenarios? Sure. That's a good question. I think it's important to realize what you do and do not like. And that's t- sometimes takes some soul searching, right? I think if you, you know, the, the big divide is medicine and surgery and everything else kind of falls underneath. Now, emergency medicine, I guess, is technically more towards surgery because it's more procedural, but there's so much medicine involved. So I'll say we're, we're unique. But you have to realize that that is not how medicine is practiced everywhere either. I think, you know, it, I did some rotations in New York City that those will be very different than had I done them up here in Buffalo. So what is it that you don't like? Do you not like the actual medicine, the pathology, the the day-to-day operations? Because the day-to-day is probably not going to be that much different what you're taking care of, with some exceptions. Or do you just not like your teaching faculty or do you not like the actual patient demographic? So those are all things that are modifiable. But if you don't like the actual medicine, then it's probably not for you. And there's probably a lot of interpersonal things going on where you're living at the time. If there's other stressors, if you're in the midst of taking a very important test, all of those are going to play a part in your enjoyment of that particular rotation at the time. Absolutely. As we kind of progress from these clinical rotations, clinical experiences, getting close to the end maybe, and heading towards residency, what would be some great tips to look for, to plan for now to make sure that the residency selection process goes properly. And I know this is a very complex topic, but if you just have like a couple of top tips to share. Well, I think uh, once you've decided on a specialty, it is important. You know, of course, your letters of recommendation are probably the most important. And that's somewhat dependent on where you are. So make sure you get good letters. Make sure you ask the preceptor if they're comfortable writing you a strong letter because uh, some personalities in medicine will have a hard time saying no if a student asks them for a letter, even if it isn't going to be the best letter. So don't feel hurt by that. But if they say they cannot write you a strong letter, it's in your best interest to select someone else. Heading 
you know, I think it depends on your where you're coming from. I think apply broadly. Residency has certainly gotten more competitive since I applied with 2014. I graduated from medical school, so it's it hasn't been that long, but it's still a lot. I don't know if I would have gotten in now. I mean, <laughs> it's gotten quite a bit more competitive. So apply broadly. Realize that unfortunately, geographic selection not always uh, cards, as they say. You make make a map of of where you'd be willing to go maybe open your open your eyes to what could be uh for example my wife matched rheumatology fellowship in chicago we neither one of us had ever been to chicago in our lives but we had heard that there was good training there and man we loved it we had we had so much fun in the two years we were there love that city now have an open mind and realize that the match process is is a beast Unfortunately, it is. I wish there was a better way, but apply broadly, get strong letters, and that, and that's that's all I can say. Really, enjoy the end of fourth year. <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked at any stats on this for a while, but I wonder what the numbers are as far as the number of increased amount of students applying for residency every year compared to the actual spots available. If those are going up in a percentage that makes sense for the increased need for doctors in the increased number of students applying or if it's just kind of plateaued. And that's also no, why that's, that's where our bottleneck is, unfortunately. Yeah. There's a lot of unmatched students. This keeps increasing and we can't keep up with the student because a lot of that comes with federal funding and not to get political. Yeah, we unfortunately are not having as many residency spots as we would like. And we have a lot more medical schools. It's really making it even more difficult than it once was for our IMG students and FMG students. Yeah, it's definitely more complex than we're going to be able to discuss on here. (laughs) (laughs) With your consultation, with your coaching, I know something that you cover a lot is goal setting and goal setting in the short term, but also in the long term. Mm -hmm. So what are some ways to go about goal setting for students? When should they start doing this? Should they do it all the way throughout? Does it change when they're pre-med versus med student versus about to go into residency? How do you go about approaching goal setting as a student? Sure. I think goals are important for everyone at every stage in life. Big fan of SMART goals, the acronym, specific, measurable, action-oriented, A-R. <laughs> um, what did I miss? T is time-bound and Hmm. Uh, Is it reasonable? Oh, yeah, that's right. I haven't had my coffee yet. (laughs) Uh, Smart goals. So it's it's very important to have a a system of setting and maintaining goals. Now, you've had goals your whole life, right? One of the goals was to get into medical school, and you successfully did that. So the way I like to think about it is think of a time that you achieved what you wanted to achieve. That could be getting into medical school. That could be going out with the girl of your dreams. That could be any of those things. And what were the beliefs that you had that allowed you to to succeed in that goal? And then think about something that you're working towards. That's residency or crushing step one or two. Or And what are your belief systems about that, about being able to achieve that goal? Now think about the time that you failed, which is a terrible word, but because there's no failure, just feedback, right? So think of a time you didn't achieve a goal and your belief system about that. And you'll see themes emerge as you look at things that you've accomplished and things that you're hopeful to accomplish and things that you didn't accomplish, take some of those good beliefs and layer them over the bad ones, right? Because can achieve really as, uh, as physicians, as medical students, as, as just professionals in general, we can achieve so much as long as we don't have a lot of negative self-talk and a lot of uh, issues with our mindset that affect 
how we perceive our goals and our ability to achieve them. So long answer to your question, but uh, I think, yes, it's always important to have goals, whether they be short-term or long-term. And I personally like writing them down every day. I like waking up and writing down my goals. And I like to write them as though I've already achieved I have X amount of money saved for retirement, or I earn X amount of money in my side business per month. You know, it doesn't have to be monetary goals either. I have matched anesthesiology at my number one spot, etc. Because uh, that kind of sets the brain on the path to success. And and something there's something to be said for writing things down as well. I mean, you tablet users can do it too. Still stuck. I got to write it down. I've definitely heard that writing it in sort of the past tense or, or current tense is more beneficial psychologically somehow. I don't understand the mechanism than writing it as a, a future desire. So I have achieved this. I, you know, not I will, but I have makes a difference somehow. So it's an interesting distinction, I suppose, to make. And I had to look it up just to make sure because, yeah, I haven't had my coffee this morning either. Smart is specific, measurable, assignable, relevant, and time-based. Although I have seen some of those swapped out with other similar words before. But it's a great tool to use just so you cannot have this general idea of where you want to go, but you know exactly where you want to go, how you're going to get there, and what time frame you're giving yourself to make sure you stay on target. Exactly. I mean, saying, I want to do well on this test, is not helpful. Whereas I want to be in the 95th percentile at the end of two months. And those types of things are much more actionable to the brain as well. And I think uh, the writing in the present tense issue gets to come some kind of visualization. Gathletes do as well. Just uh, sitting there and visualizing yourself achieving what it is you want to achieve, which has been athletic science for years. Oh, okay. That could make some sense. (laughs) I just haven't really looked into it before. But yeah, I definitely heard how beneficial a visualization process can be. So I'll have to look into that more now. It's bothering me that I don't know more about it. (laughs) Another topic that you do discuss often in your podcast and consulting and such is about financial moves, whether it be student loans or how to personal finance during residency with limited incomes. These topics that are very important and becoming more prominently discussed amongst physicians, but still very complicated for students, especially when it comes to loans. So what are some things that we could think about earlier on than we probably normally do? Sure. You know, it, it is nice to see that physicians are starting to talk about these things. Uh, you know, Jim Daly of White Coat Investor was kind of the pioneer who I had on my show. You should listen. But uh, now we're starting to realize that uh, we are highly intelligent, highly motivated people that unfortunately, as a whole, have been really bad with money over the duration of the medical profession. As a student, especially coming from one who's had either limited work experience or no work experience for those of us that went all the way through, starting to get a fifty to $60,000 paycheck a year you know, is very exciting. But Unfortunately, it doesn't go that far. I think for those of us that have student loans, for those of you who don't, I have plenty to donate to you. So if you'd like some, I can give you. But for those of us that do have student loans, it's important when we start residency to get into one of our federal income contingent repayment plans. Now, all that means is they, they do a calculation based on what's called the discretionary income, but not very important to you right now. All that matters is you get into one of these plans. I would Generally, nine times out of 10, recommend the pay-as-you-earn plan um, for those of us that are eligible, and pretty much all students right now are. And it looks at your 
income and your loans, and it determines how much money you can pay towards your loans. Oftentimes, you'll have a zero payment or close to zero payment as we start residency. And then towards the end of your residency, you could start talking about what to do with them when you get out. But I think it is important to stay in a federal program in residency. I know there are some that would suggest refinancing with some of these other programs, but I think given the uh, state of the world right now and the protections offered by the federal programs, I would pick an income contingent plan and stay in that for now. The only other real big financial thing in, uh, well, there's two more. One other thing in residency is try not to run up really huge credit card bills and stuff happens. I get it. It happened to me and my wife. We had some family illnesses and importantly, you'll get them gone once they're, once you graduate, but try as you may to not. And then the other thing is disability insurance is, is important and I would get that as a resident because you have put all your eggs into one basket. If you're a second year resident, then God forbid something happens to you and you can never be a doctor again, the $5,000 a month policy that you have will be huge. And I would suggest just going with a insurance agent that deals with physicians. And I do have some recommendations for you. I can, and I can give to you, Chase. Um, that's the only thing that's a little pricey, but uh, you're, insuring, you're insuring your ability to provide for your family. Yeah, looking for proper resources when it comes to student loans, insurance, all of these different financial aspects and looking for someone that is a a fiduciary responsibility to the client when discussing finances is something that's very complicated for most of us. So it's good to have resources such as you, your podcast website out there for students to turn to for these resources as well. And yeah, we can definitely add some in the show notes. And I'm guessing that there are some great resources on your website as well. Yep. I have people that I trust on my website at andrewtissodio.com. Anyone listening could always reach out to me. I'm happy to help with pointing people in the right direction. And a lot of these insurance agents don't charge you a thing because they make their money when with their relationships. So the important thing to do is not to go with an insurance agent that works for a specific company because then they're going to sell you that policy and not shop around. One last question would be more geared towards those thinking about going into some sort of academic medicine or teaching scenario in the future. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts about how to plan if you want to be a preceptor, for instance, in the future? Sure. I think the best way to put this is the academic landscape is changing. I think people are now studying how to be an effective educationalist, and those people are rising their ranks quickly. I have a really good example in my wife, uh, who is an academic rheumatologist and now a senior associate program director for medicine uh, here at the University of Buffalo. And she is a true educationalist. All of her research involves adult learning theory, studying how to be an effective teacher and different teaching models that get away from the traditional didactics. So I think it is important to get involved early, find those people that truly enjoy educating, study it and work with it and get on board with some of their, some projects that are happening. If there's no one at your institution doing adult learning theory or educational projects, then you can start one because there really is a dearth of literature in this field. And I think it's starting to become more and more recognized. Previously, a lot of the studies were really not super academic, but now there being some really interesting literature coming out in regards to how to properly be a preceptor. And there's great courses out there that different places have in regards to how to be an effective preceptor. I think if you want to teach, I think you should learn how to teach. Just like if you want to be a great surgeon, 
you should practice your skills. I think you need to be an effective educationalist. You should practice teaching. And there's always places for students and residents to get involved in that just because there's not enough people who's, who do it or do it well. I couldn't agree more. And I think that learning how to teach also allows you to learn how to learn a little better. So it's going to improve your oh, ability yeah. to learn over time. Absolutely. So we have andrewtisserdo.com, the Talk to Me Doc podcast. Are there any other resources or ways that you'd like the audience to find you or more about you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on all the socials except for TikTok. Okay, I still don't get it, but <laughs> uh, I don't understand. So uh, Twitter, I'm on uh, at Talk to Me Doc, Talk the number two, me, D-O-C. Uh, Instagram, Talk to Me Doc underscore LLC. I'm on Facebook at Andrew Tisser and there's a Talk to Me Doc Facebook page. And uh, I think I had them all. Oh, and LinkedIn is Andrew Tisser Deal. So you can find me on there. I'm always happy to help. Shoot me a message, whatever you need. I'm here to help our young learners because my passion is the early career physician. So I'm here for you. I'm in your corner. Hit me up if you need something and listen to the show. Awesome. Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, Chase. It's been a lot of fun. One last thing before we go. Remember Advice Media? Don't forget to schedule a demo with them to receive a $60 gift card and strategic insight on what your current online presence is doing or not doing for you. Contact Advice Media at drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. Again, that's drpodcastnetwork.com slash advice media. I hope you enjoyed that episode where I discuss teamwork, communication, how to choose a specialty, tips for residency applications, goal setting, financial tips for residents, and much more. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Additionally, visit my website at andrewtisserdo.com slash a video to find a four-part medical series where I discuss my path from burnout as a medical student, resident, all the way through early attending, and what I did about it, and give some practical advice embedded in each video. Remember, if you are feeling dissatisfied with your career, there is no reason for that. You have earned the ability to be happy. So if you want some one-on-one help, jump on a phone call with me at andrewtisserdo.com ss, and we can discuss strategies to get you where you want to go. That's all I have for today, everybody. So keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tissardio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.